Welcome back to the sasslife.fm podcast. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? Sam, I'm tired. I <laughs> am tired. tired on this Friday. Okay. Tell me about it. Julie, my wife, has been out of town all week. She left on Sunday. So I've been solo parenting, getting kids to activities, lunches made, dinners made, you know, all the things that she does day-to-day typically. So I, I can't tell you, I have gained so much respect for working parents who that is their life day in and day out, working single parents, that is. I can only imagine. I mean, we have the luxury of Shannon stays home and and takes care of our daughter and just her days, just watching her. It's just, there's so much to do and it's just constant and it's hard work. It's It's really tough. And then to take that on top of 40 hour work week or however many, however many hours that's, that's a lot. That's a lot to juggle. Yeah. I can tell you, I didn't get 40 hours of work, work in, but I was just going to ask how much, <laughs> what your, what did your week look like? Windows, you know, so, okay, I've got two hours here. Well, the youngest is in preschool, so I'm going to knock this out. Kids are in bed at seven 30. So now I'm two hour window before I go to bed type thing. So yeah, just windows and time boxing basically. I was going to say a lot of triage too. Probably I'll push this off till next week and, and uh, really focus on the important stuff. Plenty of triage next week will be fun, but I do have, uh, it's been really nice with the folks that have come on board, customer success, things like that. It definitely makes me feel good. Balls aren't being dropped. You know, things are being pushed off. There's plenty to do, but balls aren't being dropped. So that part's good, but nonetheless, I'm tired. How about yeah, you? I bet. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm kind of on the the flip side. So I was coming off of that big, big push for the the refactor that that I had in all of October, and I'm feeling way more relaxed this week. Quick carts are out. There's been some some bug issues and things that we had to kind of tackle, and but the merchants are starting to use them, and it just it feels like a big weight is off my shoulders. So I'm really excited about that. And uh, I actually had some time to watch a movie. Actually, I was able to take two hours <laughs> and watch a movie with a friend. And uh, we have a tradition where that my buddy and I we will will like queue up just terrible movies, and we'll we'll watch it and we'll make fun of it, and just it's kind of like an event. It's not really about the 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 movie experience. It's just kind of a, a fun fun time. And so the the movie that we picked or he picked was Johnny Mnemonic from 1995 which I had never seen. And so it was, it was a treat. It was something. I mean, the movie's just god-awful and terrible, but it's Keanu. Keanu Reeves is in it. I think the most interesting part about it is the movie takes place in 2021, and it's about the internet in 2021. Oh, kind of yeah, so we were able to kind of see what they predicted back in 95, and the tech was hilarious. You know, they were talking about the size of hard drives and 160 gigs was considered absolutely enormous. And, <laughs> and now you can like, you know, go down and get like a four terabyte hard drive for what, 80 bucks, you know? And so it's just, Sam, I just bought a 14 terabyte USB three hard drive and it was 200 and something dollars. Yeah. That's insane. So, so, you know, it, it, it was just, it's a, it's just a roller coaster of a ride. I mean, there's a one point where he's wearing like this Oculus, thing on his head and he's typing on a virtual keyboard 
And uh, so they got some things right, but man, the, some of it was just completely, but don't necessarily waste your time and go out, go out of your way to watch this one because it's, uh, oh, it's, it's something, but we had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad you're getting some much earned relaxation in. Yeah. So last time we did a deep dive into what was going on with text retailer. And I think we said that this time around, it's your turn on the hot seat. So what's going on in your world? It's been a while since we've talked about what's happening with, with your work. So I'd love to get an update. Well, I won't bury the lead here. The core of Pipe Tech Project is done. I'm going to say done in, in quotation marks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, that's a good milestone. That's a huge milestone. Yeah, and I'll get into this in a minute. We've done things in a somewhat roundabout way, but it's actually, I think, worked well for us. So when I say the core is done, you know, we've had beta customers using this for a while now, you know, many, many months, but we've gone back and really built that foundation. So the core is done and paying customers start. It was actually supposed to be today, given the week I've had. I'm glad it's not our customer needed to move it until Monday. So they'll roll on on Monday and we'll continue to onboard customers at a pace of about one per week through the rest of the year. That's great. So I'm curious because there's, there are a lot of parallels between pipe tech and text retailer as far as what we consider the core and how, when it's done and, and, and that, that whole, you know, classification. And I'm curious, were, were there features that just took you time to roll out or with those beta customers, did you get new insights and kind of have a little bit of a scope creep that kind of changed what you considered core? Yeah, well, I guess for the listeners, uh, just a quick recap here. We're coming at this from positioning that's a bit different from maybe what others are used to. You know, we have been in this industry or I have been in this industry for quite a while, probably 10 plus years now. So I've got other products in the industry. PipeTech itself has a bit of a reputation. So we, we have a lot riding on this. You know, with that deep experience, with that reputation comes expectations from customers. So the feature set and the expectations that are there you know, are, are deeper than what you might think of as a traditional MVP or MSP, minimum sellable product. So we've made a promise, you know, and the promise is that we will help customers supercharge their data. So a lot of times inspection data, robotic inspection data just sits and it's not utilized to its full capacity. Whether that's on the collection side, it's taking them a long time to conduct these inspections for whatever reason, or on the other side of things, on the actual usefulness of the data. You know, it might just be on a server somewhere and hard to access and only used when absolutely necessary. Right. So they're, they're capturing all this information, but they're not getting any value out of it. It's more of just like a deep archive that they can access, but they're not really leveraging it anyway. That's right. So customers know our products. They know our sister company's products that are really focused on some of the field collection. And we then come out and make this big promise. We're going to help you supercharge your data. So we're going to help you make it as useful as possible. We're going to give you faster data collection. We're going to improve the quality there. And that comes with some of the start with what you know, start with a base of information that you have somewhere lurking around in City Hall on those servers. We're going to precede it. We're going to give you advanced QA and we're going to act as a hub. We are going to make it dead simple to get information and inspections into our system and out of it. So with that comes, you know, what's traditionally ETL, extract, transform, load type operations, 
For us, it's ELT. We're extracting data, loading it, and transforming it. A nice API, audit trails to make sure that nothing gets lost in the shuffle, and decision-making on that data, right? Which means that we've got to ensure the data is structured in such a way that we can have repeatable, accurate decision-making. So all that is to say, the core of our product or what ultimately we need to release is really, really big, really beefy. Say, there's just so much that you just described that in order to get that minimum product, it's a huge product (laughs) because there's so much that's, that's involved with everything that you just talked about. Yeah. And, and we took an interesting or what I think is kind of an interesting approach to get there. So we started out, this kind of gets back to the meat of your question. We started out with customers and really looked at based on what we know and then actual discussions, defining the essential feature set. So these are things that really must be there to meet expectations, both from our customers' experience with us, as well as the promises we've made to help them supercharge their data. So what are the essential features? What do they look like? And we just started greenfielding them. So we had a really nice beta program. Uh, We called it an early access program. And we had customers using these features. And a lot of it came, some of this was serendipitous, but a lot of this came to a particular customer would need, you know, say, three out of the 10 essential features that we're developing. And so we'd just churn through it. We'd greenfield it. It was all in Mongo so we could change our structure and gain a ton of insight. And so as we did this with different feature sets and different customers, we really started to understand what the foundation of the product is going to need to look like. You know, what is that core, what are the core components and data tenants need to be? Then we stripped back even from the essential features and said, okay, at its core, this is what the product needs to do. And this is exactly how we're going to structure the data and some of the things that go along with that. And it won't change. So starting by Greenfield and going in all these other directions, understood what the essential features were, part it back down to the very core and the foundation to support that essential feature roadmap and beyond. And that's kind of where we are today. The core is done. Some of those essential features we've hidden behind feature flags, even though we're, we know they'll be needed. We also have the luxury of knowing which customers will need them. So we will start to roll that out kind of customer by customer. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a really big fan of this approach. And I took a, a somewhat similar approach with, with Text Retailer where I had a initial vision based upon the things that I knew about the industry, where I, where I saw it potentially going. And so I had that initial vision and I got that out there pretty much as fast as possible. But with the goal of getting customers in there, trusted customers that could be beta testing it and really have them use the system and get feedback from them. And so it's not necessarily a scope creep, but it's just you learn some insights into what they're really looking for and being able to adjust that. Now, it, it definitely kind of extends your date until the core is done, but or quote unquote done. But the, the idea behind it is you're really getting that customer feedback throughout that entire process. And I, I just think that's a really great great way to go as opposed to if you just sat down did your whole vision built out the entire platform and then said okay it's ready now get customers in you could have been completely off the mark 
Yeah, and that really is the whole lean startup process, right? That goes back to uh, is it Steve Blank, I think, professor that came up with that. So get it out there, have people kicking the tires. You know, another parallel between text retailer and pipe tech is we neither one of us could just come up with a total MVP and have it be good. You know, you are handling financial transactions for customers who are really or for merchants who are really depending on you. So that core still has to work and be there. And in my case, it's the expectations. Exactly. And it's, it's when you, when you realize what that, I mean, it, it was even little things like you get into it and be like, Oh yeah, we have, we can, we can take a, take a payment here and, and that's all good. And then you realize, Oh, we have to deal with sales tax on behalf of the merchant. And so we have to not only calculate this in real time, but it has to be accurate. And so then it's going out and finding a service and pulling that in. And it's, it's one of those things that I probably should have seen, you know, from day one, realizing that that's how you need to build it. But some of those things just kind of hit you in the head as you're developing the platform. You're like, oh, we need this huge component that I'd never thought about, especially when you're getting into a new industry that you're not terribly familiar with. That's such a good example, because if you screw that up, that will be real pain to your end customers. Yeah, absolutely. And it was one of those things where I thought, oh, maybe I could find some some tables of these rates and and kind of build it out myself. And then I realized that was just too big and too silly to do. And so we actually went with TaxJar, which is, that's all that they do is it's a, it's an API based service. You can ping it with the, the address that it's, the product is going to be shipped to where it's coming from. And it calculates all the sales taxes that are needed. And the, the merchant has the ability to customize which states they're required to, to collect sales tax from. And then we rely on this third party, this outside service to just calculate it on the fly. And it's something that I don't have to worry about. And so it, it really is leveraging those other services, especially when they do it better. And there's an expense here, of course. I mean, that's something that we have to pay for, text retailers to pay for. But the amount of engineering hours that I saved and headaches, and frankly, I just didn't have the expertise in that area. So to, to rely on something else like that, it just seemed like a, a no-brainer. Yeah, but you can optimize that later. I mean... You know, that's a great way to do it. Get it out there, just plug and play, know it's going to be done right. And that's a cost optimization that can come down the road when you're at that point in the business. You know, our our version of that is probably the video transcoding, right? We have these giant video files that get uploaded. And right now we're just using an AWS service to do it for us. We could definitely optimize costs by rolling our own FFmpeg instance on a, you know, EC2 box and it could save a substantial amount of money, but I'm going to worry about that later. I'm looking forward to when that's the focus. Yeah, I, I think that's a great approach in the sense that optimization, there's a time and a place for it. And really, both of us are still in the proof of concept stage. And so it's more important to get the functionality out and not mess with not mess with optimization at this point. Obviously, you want the the program to be usable, that it's fast enough and it's optimized enough that it can get things get things done in a timely fashion. But there's going to be opportunity to to adjust those costs, especially when you're at scale. I mean, right now the differences between bringing that all in house, the amount of video that you're encoding, I'm assuming, isn't a terrible amount, and so it's going to be actually more expensive for you to engineer that in house than to outsource it. Now down the line there's going to be some big cost savings there because it's just, you're at scale at that point. Actually, we're, we are just kind of taking it on the chin and knowing it's being done right. Because when customers come to us, they generally have a giant archive of data. That's true. 
Right. Right. So we've kind of been doing this parallel onboarding process as we've been getting the core ready and as people have been testing out these beta features, we've been onboarding the customers, which a big part of that is taking up to 15,000 videos, I think is the biggest one we've done and processing all of those. So no, we, we are just spending the money and it's not cheap. Right. Okay. That's a good point. But, but you've made the, the analysis that it's better to just get it done, not worry about it, focus on the core product, outsource that transcoding. And that's a better approach for you right now, even though it might, might hurt the wallet a little bit. Right. Yep. That's just what we're doing. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So the other thing that we've had to make sure we get absolutely right is, are those data foundations, right? The kind of another promise we make to the customers, and it's <laughs> it's just like your promise would be, okay, we're not going to screw up the tax, right? right That's going to be right. a huge problem. You know, Our promise is we're not going to screw up the data. We are taking in all this data. We're promising you that you can use it everywhere. So we offer that API access, and we're also a lot of times sourcing the data from different places. So we'll put all this data together, and in the process of that, we're not going to screw it up, which is harder than it sounds. Oh, it sounds hard to me. the (laughs) The amount of data that you're talking about, I mean, to do cross checks and and just to to ensure that integrity, I, I can imagine that's that's a huge process. Yeah, because it is transformed a lot along the way, right? So, you know, they might have the data in one system and it might look slightly different. So we'll then restructure it to match the system, to match our system and what we need. But then they need to kick it out to yet a third system and expect the integrity to be maintained throughout that entire process. So that has been what we've spent the most time in, in building our core. Yeah. 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 Just that data integrity and ensuring. Because I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, the 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 opportunity to screw that up <laughs> is pretty high, <laughs> and it, you lose that customer trust. Then, uh, or even worse, I mean, it, it impacts their their processes, and it's hard to come back from. Yeah, no. In our case, I don't think we could come back from it. So we've done so much testing, and luckily, with this parallel onboarding process, we have so much data to work. It's just been sending it through various pipelines, testing, 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 making sure those audit trails are in place. So for each transform that happens, we can roll it back. And I think we're there, though. I think, you know, everything looks really, really good. That's great. And, and I'm, I'm curious, as you kind of rolled on these new customers, did you make changes to that whole process? Because like new data was coming in that's structured differently and you kind of had to adapt to those. I mean, do you, do you anticipate more and more of that happening as you onboard more customers? I think we have the core use cases. You know, some of that might happen and we could have a customer with data that's unexpected. But at this point, the data is really at least in a number of formats that we intend to support for the foreseeable future. So, you know, we've got data coming in from access databases, from SQL databases, from GIS, which could be backed by Oracle, a file store, in some cases, CSVs, spreadsheets, and in some cases, actual XML type data. So we've what we've really done is taken those data format, looked at how deeply nested they might be. And written the code so that we can map all of them and essentially unmap them to our native format. So, no, I don't think there's going to be a big issue with somebody coming to us with a format that we don't currently support. And if they do, great. You know, we'll talk about it. I'm sure we can make it work, but I'm not 
terribly worried about that one-off case right now. Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot of coverage there. And and there's also the benefit of, correct me if I'm wrong, there's, there's somewhat standard data types that the industry conforms to. So it's not like they're coming to you with completely custom information that you have to then map. I, I'm guessing in some cases you do, but but in theory, they're they're adhering to somewhat of these industry standards. So you have a, a starting place that you can at least you're, you're talking the same language when all said and done. Kind of that is true for inspections generally. So you know you, you think about two different things here. One is assets, and that's the thing, the physical thing that is being inspected, and the other is the inspection, the information we're capturing about that asset. So by and large, inspections are, for probably 75% of our customers, standardized. You know, they might inspect a particular asset in one of half a dozen, a dozen different ways. So that's good. That's standard. We can roll with it. What's not standard is the way the asset data itself is stored, right? So everybody might maintain different attributes about different assets. And those assets might relate to each other in different ways, whether it's a pipe connecting to another pipe or you know, a manhole starting or a different access point starting a, a pipe. So kind of think of a network of nodes and, and lines connecting them. So all of that data is not necessarily stored in a, in a repeatable way or in a, um, I don't know what's the word I want to use here, in, in the same way, in a standardized, standardized way. There we go. So we do have to take that data and then map it into these more standard inspection templates. And that's where a lot of the work has come. I was going to, okay. So that's part of that onboarding process where you'd meet with a customer. They might provide a sample of their, their asset data and you'd be like, okay, so if, if this is kind of how it's formatted, here's the plan to get it into our structure that makes sense that we can then manipulate within, within pipe tech. Exactly. And taking it one step further, here's how we're going to provide access for the customer to get it back out of pipe tech if they want to use it in a different system. Okay. Okay. Do you ever map back to their original stuff or is the goal to get them away from their current formatting and kind of update like a one-time no, push? No, or? no, no. We, we definitely map to their original stuff. Yeah. Wow. So okay. it does go both ways. We consider ourselves an inspection hub. Like We are the place that we want all of your inspections. We provide a lot of tools for you to better share those inspections with people who need to see them. We provide a lot of tools for you to edit and QA those inspections and visualize your data. But we don't ever want to be the source of truth for your assets. You know That, that belongs in an external system who does it better than we do. So the link we're providing is between your source of truth asset data and the inspections of those assets. So you can quickly, from either system, link back to the asset you want to see on a map, for example. Or if you're looking at a map, you can look at a particular asset and bring up the exact inspection or inspections that relate to that asset in pipe tech. So we are going both ways, and we need to maintain those maps at all times. It's interesting because as you're talking through this, it sounds like you can be very opinionated about the assets themselves because you're the one that's generating that or maintaining that, but you're basically hands off when it comes to the asset data, because like you said, you just have to be a plug and play type of platform and a hub. And so having that flexibility and having the ability to push it asset data in and out and be able to 
from the customer perspective, it doesn't matter. You're not making them change is what I'm getting at. You're not, you're not saying you have to change your entire asset storage structure. You're basically taking that burden on yourself and saying, we're going to play nice with whatever, however you store it. Now we're going to give you some suggestions on how the inspection should be maintained and handled in that data structure, but you're going to be very hands off with the asset data, which is nice. Yeah, you're exactly right. And we have to be, you know, customers have been storing their asset data for a long time. That's not going to change. So if we came in and said, okay, now we're going to require you to perform these inspections in a certain way and store your asset data in a certain way, they'd tell us to go take a hike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's realizing that it's just, it's just going to be one of those things that you have to accomplish. You know, you have to accommodate because your switching costs from whatever system they're using right now over to pipe tech are going to be high enough. And like you said, if, if you were to make them do that extra step, it's just too big of a burden that they're just not going to undertake. Yeah. And something that's interesting that's happening right now is that a lot of this data just exists in silos. So they have their asset data in one silo and they have their inspection data in a totally different silo. And they're not really linked in any deep way. They're linked in the way that you could say, okay, in this asset management system I'm using or the place I'm storing my asset data, I have a field called facility ID, just as an example. And I consider facility ID to be my index, to be my key. So in an inspection template or in the data that's collected about an inspection, I might have a field called pipe segment reference. That field is going to contain the exact same value as the value in the facility ID field in the asset system. So people are manually going back and forth and saying, okay, well, now I'm in inspection mode, so I'm going to look up the pipe segment reference. Oh, now I'm in asset management mode, so it's facility ID. So we're getting a little deep into the weeds here on some of the technical stuff, but these are the challenges that we are trying to solve and trying to make really transparent to the end user. Now that that's so interesting because you you just described a way that this, this municipality might be working where they just quote unquote, know (laughs) what those different fields mean and the meaning behind it, even though it's a simple ID that exists there, but they know that those two things are linked. And so you basically have to extract that information from the customer and make your software aware of it so that you can very easily say, no, these things are linked because of the rules that you provided before. And now just having those things linked and not have to bring in that, I mean, you're basically bringing in that, that, that internal knowledge that they have and putting it into your software and making that just a no brainer link. That's right. Yeah. And we'll do it for as many different inspection types and asset types as you want. So in a particular system, which we consider a group of assets, you can have different asset types Within those asset types, you might want to inspect them in different ways in order to get information. So you might inspect the same asset, you know, call it a mainline pipe. You might inspect that one way for a pre-rehab study. You might inspect it a totally different way to look for structural issues or, you know, I and I, they call them issues. So you have the asset, you have different ways of inspecting it, and all along the way, these field names can be different, right? So you're mapping facility ID to pipe segment reference to pipe ID to whatever. And we are normalizing that whole thing so that you can look things up and compare apples to apples across different asset types, different asset storage mechanisms, 
and different inspections. And that's really just the table stakes. I mean, none of this <laughs> that's is starting. That's where you start from. That's crazy. Yeah. If we don't have that, then the whole thing, the features that people really care about don't work, right? Like that's not something we can sell really. That's just kind of an, oh, okay, well that sounds good. What we can sell is, okay, now because we do this, we can pre-populate all the data for the guys in the field that are going to be out and doing the inspections. Because we have this foundation, we can give you advanced QA across different inspection types and save you time in the office in doing that. Because we have this information, we can help you structure your decision-making on whether or not to rehab a particular asset. We can help you share it more easily. So it's all these things that we can help you do, but we can only help you do that because we've built this foundation. But we can't sell the foundation. Right. I'm, I'm, it's I'm not sexy. It's, I'm, not, it's no. not solving a nest, uh, problem for them. <laughs> well, it's, it's a lot of work for the customer too. So they need to see, they need to be able to see the potential benefit of going through that entire exercise of all this work. I can only imagine what this means for some of these customers, how many weeks of work it is to kind of get this information to you and figure out these mappings. But there has to be, you know, the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You do all this work for us. You go through our process. You get into our software. And here's all of the things that we're going to unlock for you and make your world better. Yeah, that, that's exactly what the onboarding process looks like and what the sale leading up to the onboarding needs to be. It's been fun. It's been, it's been kind of a wild ride just, just getting here. And it's been kind of a grind, right? So I don't know. I'm very excited for the next phase of layering features on top of this core. And I'm happy that we've de-risked a lot of those features. Like those are the things that when I said we're greenfielding essential features early on, and then we're building out the core, what we've been basically doing is building those features, but not having the deep foundation or the deep core with all that data mapping and all the data structures. So people can use it. They can see exactly what these features are going to look like, and they can use it for very specific tasks, if that makes sense. But it's not all the way mapped and not all the way integrated the way it will be in the live version. So we have all these essential features essentially stubbed out. And now we just have to roll them out one by one and make sure that they're interacting with the core in the proper way. So they're going to come fast. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, because again, you're, you're, you're selling, here's what you're going to be able to do with that. And you kind of set up a, for lack of a better term, a little bit of a house of cards. Like this is what it's going to look like where you still have to figure out that foundation. Now that you have that in place, it's no longer a house of cards. It's actually built on a solid foundation that you can go from. Yeah, I'm totally not going to get on board with the house of cards, <laughs> yeah, I know. But, uh, but you know what? You're right. Uh, that, that is what it's been. Hey, I'm, I'm using duct tape and bubble, bubble gum on my end, so I, I, I can totally relate. <laughs> well, and the thing, I, I kind of want to go back to the supercharger data, because one of the things that you said really was interesting in that some of these organizations or these municipalities, they have their inspection data separated from their assets. And so by bridging that together, to me, even though that's just bare bones, very basic level of understanding, that right there, I think would be a huge benefit for them, let alone all these other things that you're planning out on top of that information once it's linked. But just having that information linked is a huge convenience factor, I would think. You're right. It, it is. And, and maybe I was shortchanging it a little bit when I said you can't sell, but people definitely do love it, especially the GIS guys. And we're finding that that's driven a lot of our early customers adoption here is the GIS department within the city who's going, 
wow, okay, so you're telling me that I can have a workflow where somebody goes out to perform an inspection. They already have all of that asset data seeded, so half the fields they need to fill out are done. But more importantly, if they change a field or add a field, we can push that information back to GIS, our asset source of truth. They absolutely love that. And there's checks and balances to it too. So we're not we're not just going to blindly trust what the operator in the field says. It will be reviewed in the office automatically and then either approved or denied. And the source of truth will be either updated or not, depending on the result of that QA. So they, they do get excited about that. I could see that because especially some of these assets you're talking, they're not just five years old. They could be decades old, you know, and I, I'm reminded there was a, there was a huge construction project uh, here in our town where they were ripping up one of the main streets and there was a lot of businesses concerned about how long is this process going to take? And the city was literally saying, we don't know what is under that street. It's one of the oldest streets in town. We have an idea. We think we know what's down there, but until we rip up the street, we really don't know. <laughs> and so being able to, to kind of update that information through your system, through those inspections, I could, I could see it being a huge value. Yeah, it, it is important. If that was all we offered, they wouldn't buy it, right? You know, you, we also need an entire media editor so that you can view the videos and move around in them. We need lots, you know, we need the ability to pee produce PDF reports. We need the ability to kick out Microsoft Access databases, all these different things, which is some of them are a little bit silly. In yeah. My opinion. Well, that's but, a nice word. But now that the thing about it is you're in this industry, you knew all of these, these needs were out there. I mean, you might get some more information from customers as they did the beta access, but to me that you're fulfilling all of these needs, the chances of someone else coming in and duplicating all this, it's just, there's so much time and energy and effort that you've put into this, that it, it really is, you know, building that moat and, and keeping other, other people away and solving these hard problems. That's what it's all about. I hope so. Yeah. So we've got our moat, we've got the core and yeah, these other features will be layered on really quickly because they're basically built out. It's just linking them up to the core properly. So we're going to have customers onboarding Really quickly, like I said, about one per week and pretty much in tandem, we're going to have major feature sets rolling out about one per week. So it's going to be really fun through the end of the year and into 2022. That's great. So so that's going to take you through the end of the year. Do you expect that same pace to happen in 2022 or uh, I mean, how much do you have a do you have an end date as far as when you see these current customers that are waiting to onboard? Is there an end to that or do you have a pretty deep pipeline? We do have a pretty deep pipeline. So I wouldn't say that we have a, a an end to it, but I'd like to ramp up customer onboarding as well. So, and so I'd like to build that pipeline and make sure that we can bring on that once we do build that pipeline deeper, that we can bring on customers at a more rapid pace because people are probably not going to be happy waiting, you know, three months to get on board. So we intend to really ramp up sales and marketing in 2022. Right now, we haven't done any of that. We've just been working through existing customers and even turning some people away, you know, not permanently, but saying, hey, we gotta we gotta hold on here. So I wanna basically, you know, open the floodgates, get out of early access, get people, ramp up the sales and marketing machine. And in order to do that, we have to make sure that the onboarding is really smooth and can go fairly quickly. 
So that's what I see a lot of the focus on 2022 being. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's no reason to start selling the product if you can't get to a point where people can actually use it and onboard. And so it'll be interesting to see how how efficient you get with that process because that definitely see feels like one of the big bottlenecks of, you know, you've you've sold the customer, they love the the prospect and now it's that process of converting all that data, getting it into play and so that they can actually really start start using the platform. Right. In some ways it becomes an operations problem at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exciting. That's a great update. It's a, again, a huge congratulations. I'm excited for you. And it's, it strikes me how many, how much parallels we have between the two businesses and where we are that we're, we're both kind of getting to that point where we feel that we're version one complete, which is a nice place to be. And then we can kind of focus on these sales and this marketing and really kind of ramping up and and becoming an actual business and not just a product. So that's, that's very exciting. It is exciting. So yeah. What are you into this week, Sam? What am I into? So I, I just saw micro acquire, which I've been following for a while now. It's a really interesting site for those uh, that aren't familiar that basically they're a marketplace to buy and sell SaaS businesses. And they might be on beyond SaaS businesses as well, but it's a great place to like list your business. I'm interested in selling. It's kind of a, it's basically a way to to publicize that you're selling your business without having to get a broker involved. And so their whole thing is, you know, they don't take fees for the business sales. They just provide a marketplace, but they actually rolled out a new feature yesterday that they're calling micro MRR. And it's kind of like the Zestimate for a SaaS business. So you take your Stripe account, you hook it into this, this platform of theirs They look at your recurring revenue, they look at your churn rate, and based upon the acquisitions that they've seen on their marketplace, they literally spit out a valuation range of what they think your business is worth, which is kind of interesting to me. I I don't know how much of this is really truly rooted in the marketplace because when all is said and done, when you're selling a business, it's it's what, what someone else is willing to pay for, but it gives you a nice little guesstimate of what kind of range you might be expecting. And so I I don't know, I signed up and they got slammed yesterday because they just announced it. They're on product hunt. And so I think they're working through some bugs. I wasn't able to get an estimate out yet, but I'm going to kind of ping it in a couple of weeks, but it, it could be an interesting thing to watch and just at least a very early days of what is my business worth and kind of give you a rough idea. Neat. That's a cool idea. Yeah. I'll yeah. play with it myself. Yeah, it makes a little, it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it'll one of the things that people say about the Zestimate on Zillow is that it's kind of influences homeowners to think that their house might be worth more than what it actually is. So it'll be interesting to see if this product has that same effect of not basically giving people an impression of value of their business that might may or may not actually exist. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what the effect is, but it's a neat little tool. If nothing else, it's kind of fun to be like, oh, that's what it's worth. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder how accurate it will be. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Chris? Well, what are my, you into? My, mine is uh, on the opposite side of things. So yours is tech and SaaS. What we normally talk about mine is tires. Tires. All right. It's getting cold here in Montana in the mornings. And when that happens, right? The air pressure in tires goes down. So I woke up the other day and, and the little low tire pressure light came on. And so I got my 12 volt air compressor out 
which is something I've had for years now and just love it every time I use it. I, I just store it under the seat in the car, plug it into the cigarette adapter on the one hand, just pop in, you know, you can enter in the tire pressure you want it to get to and yeah, hook it up, turn it on. It turns off when your tires reach that pressure and away you go. So I don't, I don't remember the exact mo- maker model I have. I'm sure there's tons of them out there. We'll link to one in the show notes. It's cheap and it's really nice to not have to go to the gas station and mess around with the, I don't know, the dipstick type thing yeah, that pops yeah. out of the end. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm still on is I gotta, I gotta drive out to the gas station, find one of those. And it seems like about half of them are free. You just walk up, you push the button and it's good. But man, if there's one that you've come up to and it requires dropping 50 cents or a quarter, it just, it just upsets me. It just angers me. <laughs> and so to avoid that whole thing, because I don't have quarters, who has quarters in their, their car anymore? It just, it seems like, you know, you just don't have that. And so it's just like, now I got to go fish out some quarters, pop it in there. And then you have that time pressure too. It's like, how, when's the thing going to turn off? <laughs> And so you just avoid all of that by, by yeah, having Yeah, and you're doing the back and forth, you know, yes. it's pumping and then you're measuring it, pumping, measuring it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, your, your way sounds a lot easier. So, yeah. My guess is this thing was probably 30 bucks and <laughs> it is well worth it. Worth every penny. That's great. Yep. All right, Chris. Well, hey, this was great catching up. Thanks everyone for, for listening. Uh, we will look forward to the next time we talk, which will probably be after Turkey Day. So I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you too, Sam. See ya. See ya.